For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the ability to get together and study it. We pray that you give us um, soft hearts to hear it and understand it. Let it take root. And Lord, I pray um, that as we study it today, Lord, that you would make sons and daughters for the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I don't know how many of you have fond memories of school, but when you think back to them, you probably think, if it's a fond memory, you think of maybe your friends, you know, maybe some of the fun stuff that you did when you were there, maybe some of you played sports, maybe some of you were like me and thought about playing sports, but never actually really did it. Um... Maybe you have things that you really enjoyed when you were there. When you think back to your time in school, you think back to that. Man, I miss my friends. I wonder where they are today. Or, Man, I really miss my... I, I think back to my lunch table. I miss my lunch table. Where I had... It was the same six or seven people every day at the exact same table. And we always told the same jokes. And we always laughed about the same things. And if you get those six or seven people amongst other people in a room today, it happened at the class reunion. Had everybody in one room together. And guess what? It was my lunch table again at the class reunion. It was the same group of people. That's what I think back to when I think back to school. You know what my fond memories never are? Trigonometry. <laughs> or really any math. Trig, calculus, pre-calculus because math. I like geometry. That was about the only one. I never liked thinking back to standardized tests. Anybody in here the age of standardized tests? Anybody? I hear some murmuring and groaning waiting for the recreation. Yes. Uh, hate standardized tests. I never think back to those. I try to forget that horrible thing that was the SAT. Um, I, I do my best to avoid to this day anything that resembles a group project. I hated that part of school. Graduation was one of the happiest days of my life, not because it was, you know, I, I was not like, yay, I have my diploma, I'm going to go conquer the world. It was like, I don't have to go to these classes anymore. That was what made graduation happy. So, as I discussed today, leaving behind the tutor and entering into sonship, uh, that's kind of part of the image I want, to, I want to be in your head. That Paul is going to talk a little bit more about the law today. And he's going to say, hey, the law functioned as a tutor, as a schoolmaster, as someone to teach you something. But when you learn the lesson that God's Word in the law has to teach you, there's no need for you to stay in school anymore. It's time for you to graduate. It's time for you to move to the next thing. So I want to talk today about moving from, from slavery to sonship, from student to sonship. And I titled our sermon this morning, School's Out. Um, so we're going to look at this passage and we're going to split it into two sections today. The first I want us to see is that under the law, you are a student under a harsh schoolmaster. Verse 24 um, in Galatians 3, Paul says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. I want to break this verse down. 
Uh, normally, I don't like to get into uh, the Greek grammar behind the English, but sometimes it's important. Uh, this first part of this verse that says, therefore the law was. This word was is in what's called the Greek perfect tense. If you just love to diagram sentences in English, that may sound familiar to you. But in Greek, what perfect meant is it's something that happened in the past that has results going on all the way to the present day and beyond. So whatever it was the law accomplished, if it has accomplished it for us, it has accomplished it back then, and that accomplishment is still having effects today. So what was it that the law was? It was our tutor. Do I have any teachers in here? Any teachers or retired teachers? Anybody? Okay. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to share. I was just wondering if I had any. Um, when you were going to school, just, you know, if you're nodding, did you ever take a class or something called pedagogy? Any, any word? They call classes that now. I, now I find studying this passage, I know what pedagogy is. This word tutor or schoolmaster, whatever you see in your Bible, is the Greek word pedagogos. It is translated variously as tutor. Um, it gets guardian in some passages and then disciplinarian in one passage. A pedagogue was someone in Greece, ancient Greece, or the, the Greek-speaking area of the world, which included where the, the New Testament was written. A pedagogue was someone whose responsibility was the education of children from about age six into functional, functional adulthood. Um, so I took this from my Galatians commentary because Timothy George explained it better than I could. So I'll just read this little excerpt for you. In ancient Greece and Rome, wealthy parents often placed their newborn babies under the care of a wet nurse who would in turn pass them on to an older woman, a nanny who would care for their basic needs until about the age of six. At that time, they came under the supervision of another household servant, the pedagogos. That's a fun word. Who remained in charge of their upbringing until late adolescence. No doubt there were many pedagogues who were known for their kindness and held in affection by their wards. But the dominant image, this is what Greek children would have known a pedagogue as. The dominant image was that of a harsh disciplinarian who frequently resorted to physical force and corporal punishment as a way of keeping his children in line. Long story short, you're going to get a whooping. That was the pedagogue's job. For example, a certain, this is crazy, a certain pedagogue named, his name starts with an S, was described as a fierce and mean old man because of his physically breaking up a rowdy party. He then dragged away his young man, Chericles, like, quote, the lowest slave, end quote, and delivered the other troublemakers to the jailer with instructions they should be handed over to the public executioner. The ancient Christian writer Theodoret of Cyrus observed that students are scared of their pedagogues. And well, they might have been, because pedagogues frequently accomplish their task by tweaking the ear, cuffing the hands, whipping, caning, pinching, and other unpleasant means of applied correction. These folks are not nice. 
These are not what teachers at school are like today. Okay? Some of you might think, oh, well, the teachers ought to be. No, 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 you don't want that. <laughs> so when you read this passage and you see it in your Bible, oh, the law was our tutor. The law was our teacher. The law was our schoolmaster. Oh, isn't that sweet? God gave us a teacher. No. That's not what's going on. God did not give us a tutor. He did not give us a teacher. He gave us in the law a pedagogue, a harsh disciplinarian that has no budging. When I talk about the law, I don't mean don't go over 55. That's not the law I'm talking about. I'm talking about the law that you see in the Old Testament or really generally any rules that you see in your Bible. Have you ever seen a rule in the Bible and felt like that rule was pliable? Like you could bend it just a little bit? No. The, the rules that God gave His people are rigid. They have no play in them. They have no give in them. When God says do this, He meant to do it. When God says don't do this, He meant not to do it. There's no play in them. There's no flexibility. The law is a pedagogue. It's harsh. Have you ever, have you ever maybe just for a second, maybe I'm the only one, looked maybe at the Ten Commandments, if you want to just stick a reference in there and look at them in the Bible that's Exodus 20. Have you ever just looked at the Ten Commandments and gone down the list and go, man, I'm so glad I have always done every single one of these perfectly. Anybody ever done that? I haven't. I haven't been able to. More likely what happens is you do what I do, is you go down them and you look at them and go, man, I have barely kept any of these perfectly. And do you know why that feeling of guilt rises up in us when we read the Ten Commandments and we feel like we haven't kept them? That feeling of guilt rises up because there is actual guilt because we haven't kept them. And because there's no place, we feel the weight of that guilt sitting on us. That the law is harsh. It's a harsh schoolmaster. That there's no play. There's no giving. That the law is a disciplinarian. It does not play around. Why would God do this? Well, Paul explains it. The law is our tutor. Why? To bring us to Christ. The Greek words are the words that it contains a preposition and that preposition in some translations is rendered until. This is reflected in the New King James. It's, um, it's in basically any uh, translation you're going to use, though they use different English words to convey it. What Paul means is that the law was only intended to carry this out in order to bring you to Jesus Christ. Why is it trying to do that? He next says that we might be justified by faith. That the harsh schoolmaster of the law is intended to make us uncomfortable with our own unrighteousness until we reach a point where we throw our hands up in the air and say, that's it, I've had enough, I can't do it. The rules are too hard. Perfection is too perfect. And I am too not perfect. That's what the law is intended to do. Well, Josh, isn't it kind of unfair for God to give us a law that he knows we can't keep? No. Well, why not? Because had God not give us, given us that law, every single one of us would walk around every day convinced that we had everything it took to please God all on our own. 
It is part of our culture, kind of as, a, as an American people. We're going to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're going to work. We're going to get it done. I'm going to accomplish it. That the world is set against me, but it doesn't know the force of the human spirit that lives in me. And God goes, I know the force of the human spirit. I know exactly what the human spirit is like. We sometimes need convincing that we are not as perfect as we think we are. I say it every I'm becoming more and more convinced, y'all. I need to say this every Sunday. Church is not where good people get together and talk about how good we are. Church is where broken people get together and talk about how broken we are and how thankful we are we have a gracious God who puts us back together. That's what we're here to do. This pastor is not perfect. These deacons are not perfect. My, my only perfect deacon, raise your hand. There you go. They ain't one. There's, there's no perfect person in here. And God gave us the law so that when we look into it, when we look into His Word, and we look into this mirror, we would see the truth about who we really are, which is broken, fallen people. And the law has accomplished its job if it brings us to Jesus with our hands thrown in the air saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner. <clears throat> the law gives us a moral standard that we don't get to make up on our own. And sometimes, you know, you can be sharing Christ with somebody and they'll say, well, I feel like I'm a good person. Okay. By what definition of good? Well, I ain't never killed nobody. I hope not. Is, does that mean that everybody, that everybody who hasn't ever killed somebody is a good person? Well, No. See, here's the thing. is We all like to make up our own definitions of good. And whenever we make up a definition of good, we make up a definition of good that suits ourselves. Uh, but think of the chaos that would ensue if there was no real standard of good and everybody got to make up what was good on their own. I did a little thought experiment this week. I was trying to think of a situation where people making up what's good for them would really hurt other people. Think about bankers and borrowers. What if every loan was mandated to have a 0% interest rate and no definite time in which it had to be repaid. How many of you would feel like going and getting a big old massive loan? That would be great, wouldn't it? If every loan, all your credit cards, amen? You got a credit card, guess what? It's got a 0% interest rate and there's never a due date. Your mortgage, your car loan, that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Unless you're a banker. Then it's really bad. Then you're out of business. It's good for the borrower, but it's not good for you. But what about this? What if all loans were mandated to have a 20% interest rate and everyone who is not a lender required to have a loan of some size all the time? That would be pretty bad, wouldn't it? Unless you're a banker then it's really good. So here's the thing. When we make our own definition of good, we make good out to be what suits us. But what the law does is God gives us the law and He says, okay, you want to know what good is? Here's good. Have at it. And y'all, we can't get out of the bed and get our shoes on before we've sinned. 
before we've done something wrong. And I'm not saying this to trying to pray. I want you to leave every Sunday encouraged, but I want you to be encouraged through the truth, not just through some feel-good stuff. Okay? To get to the real meaty encouragement, we got to get to the we got to get through the, the, the mucky stuff first, which is that we are mucky people. That the law exposes in us that we are not as good as we think we are. It, it, we don't get to make the rules. But here's the good part. In verse 25, after faith has come, we are no longer under what? A tutor. After faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Time for Greek lesson part two. This word has come is in a Greek tense that we don't have in the English. It's in a Greek tense called the aorist. It's a fun word that means something really simple and less complicated than it sounds. If you were to imagine time is a line, here's the, y'all think left or right. Here's the beginning. Here's the end. If you were to take that pencil or pen or whatever that you normally write with and you pick one point on that line and went, that's the aorist. It's just a point in time. Boop, a dot on the line. Doesn't say anything about, oh, they used to do this all the time, or oh, they did it and it continued to have effects. Nope, it was just, it happened then. Simple. Same as, I opened that door. I ate lunch. Didn't say anything about habits. It's just simple. The action happened in the past. But after faith has come. Do you want freedom from that harsh pedagogue schoolmaster of the law that every time you open your Bible, every time you look in that mirror, every time you, you, you know, some people, yeah, I'm afraid to pray because I'm going to get struck by lightning because God will be shocked that I'm, no. First off, that's not how God is anyway. But maybe you harbor these feelings of guilt and you say, I know I ought to be a better person. I know I ought not to, to do the things I do. I know that even though I don't do them anymore, I did some things in the past that they make me ashamed to come in front of God. You know why you feel guilty? Might be because you are guilty. But that was the point of the law to show us that we all are guilty. After faith has come... After you have come to Jesus Christ, after you throw your hands up in the air and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I can't do it on my own. Forgive me. Guess what? After faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. You learned the lesson the law had to teach you. You've come to Jesus Christ who has forgiven you of all that guilt. The moment that you come to Jesus Christ and ask Him to have mercy on you and to forgive you, guess what? The debt is repaid. The sin is gone. That the law does not bind you anymore. That you can look in the mirror and you can say, do you know what God sees when He sees this person? He sees His son. He sees His daughter. He sees His child that He loves. I need to say this every Sunday too. I think God doesn't just love you. He likes you. Do you know that when you come to Jesus in saving faith, it's not like God just begrudgingly is like, ugh. They ask for forgiveness. I've got to forgive them. All of heaven throws a party when you confess your sin and say, I've been wrong. 
God's been right, I've been wrong. God is overjoyed. He loves you. He wants you to learn what He's been trying to teach you, which is you can't do it on your own. And isn't it a relief to know that He doesn't expect you to do it on your own? After faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. Any of y'all kids learn this quickly as I am still learning? That there are some things your child does not do until you tell them not to do it. You know why kids do that? They're little rebels. They're little tiny fallen humans. And that's our nature. We're rebels. But we wouldn't know we were rebels unless God had told us what not to do. So that's why Paul says, on the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. And what does coveting mean in the Ten Commandments? That means seeing something your neighbor has and saying they shouldn't have it, I should have that instead of them. They don't deserve it, I do. You know in our natural human mind, that is something that we naturally do. We, this is church. If we can't be honest here, where can we be honest? We've all, at some point in our life, we have all looked at something one of our friends or neighbors had and said, that's not fair. I want that. Haven't we? We've all done it. Yeah. That's natural for us to do, right? Only because we're sinners. But see, we wouldn't know that if God had not said, don't covet. Now that God has said don't covet and we realize that we're doing it, we know that it's wrong and we find ourselves still doing it anyway. The law has exposed, the law has taught us a lesson that we can't do it on our own, that we are not as good as we think we are. But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. That the law is going to lead you to your death. Y'all, listen to me. I'm here to preach grace. And that's what we're about to talk about in part two. Okay? This is not the end of the sermon. If, 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 you're, if you were planning on leaving, don't leave now. Because <laughs> if you do, you're going to really completely miss the whole message. If you live with a religion of rules. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. I will not do this. I will not do this. I will not do this. You are living a religion of law. And all law accomplishes is teaching you what is wrong and what is right. It does not give you the ability to do what is right and not do what is wrong. If you've ever known something is wrong and did it anyway, you're proof of this. All of us have done that. If you are living a religion of law, you do not have a good relationship with God. 
That's not how relationships with God work. God gave the law to show us we don't have a good relationship with him. So how do I get a good relationship with God? If I can't have a relationship with him by the law, if I can't have a relationship with him, if I can't uh, get along well with him by the law, how does this work? Verse 26. Under the law, you are under a harsh schoolmaster, but under Christ, you are a son or daughter of the kingdom. It's a totally different relationship with God. Verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, or daughters. The idea is that you are a child of God. Um, this does not mean, ladies, you need to start referring to yourself as a son. Um, there's, there's, Paul is making a point of children here. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> More fun Greek lessons. In English, when we speak a sentence, we would say, you know, Jim kicked the ball. Jim is the subject. Kicked is the verb. The ball is the object. Okay, now that we all feel like we're back in sixth grade grammar, that's the way that English works. The subject is always at the front. The verb is always after the subject. And the object is always after the verb. In Greek, they don't care about any of that. They just put their sentence in whatever they want to put it in, sometimes to emphasize things. And in this sentence, Paul did that. In your English, you see, for you are all heirs. In Greek, the word all is at the very front of the sentence. Paul is making a point. He's emphasizing the allness of the adoption that God has enacted. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Here is a painful truth, y'all. Have you ever heard somebody say, we are all God's children? You ever heard somebody say that? It's not true. Not everyone is God's child. Yes, God, God's responsible for the creation of everyone. But if you want to know who God's children are, God's children are those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is through whom we are children of God. If you want to be God's child, you must be adopted through faith in Christ. But once you have come to Jesus Christ, you are no longer outside God's family. You are His child. That He, he loves you. He provides for you. He has an inheritance for you. That Jesus Christ is the way one becomes a child of God. Romans 8 uh, verses 14 through 17. <clears throat> For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I want to stop that for just a second. If you're a Christian, if you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ... You do not, I hope you do not have this image of God sitting in heaven on his throne with a bolt of lightning in his hand waiting on you to screw up so he can zap you. I hope your relationship with God does not ever take this route. Oh my goodness. I didn't have my, my Bible reading in prayer time this morning. God's not going to help me today. Oh my goodness. I said a cuss word when I stubbed my toe. God's mad at me now. 
Oh my goodness, I, 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 haven't, I haven't been to church in the last week or two. I can't pray. God won't listen to me because that, y'all, that is not the spirit that God has given us. He gave us a spirit of adoption. Do you know to this day, if you were to go to Israel, that children still say what Paul was saying right there? If they're walking down the street with their daddy and they're, they're, they're kid, the kid sees something maybe in a shop window that he wants, the kid will run over to his, his father and go, Abba, Abba, Abba. He said, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. I'm talking to you. Daddy. That's exactly what Paul is saying. That's the spirit that God has given us. If you have come to Christ, then you have every bit of an affectionate relationship with God as you can have with your own dad. That, that God is our Abba. And maybe I should say this too. That maybe there are some folks that, that didn't have that good of a relationship with their dad. So when I say, you know, God, God's your daddy, maybe that falls kind of on deaf ears. They're like, well, I hope God's not my daddy. Let me tell you something. I grew up with this Abba being the only Abba I had. Okay? I came from a single parent house. I did not meet my dad until I was in my late 20s. He's the only dad I know. So when I tell you he is actually your Abba, your daddy, your father, I'm not just giving you some theological pastor mumbo-jumbo. I'm speaking from experience. He will love you. He will encourage you. And yep, he'll whoop you. <laughs> he'll do it. But do you know what? He is always there. He is always there. He never missed a wrestling match. Never did. And sometimes he's hard to understand. And sometimes I get mad at him. And sometimes I yelled at him. And some young kid, I said some things to my daddy I wasn't supposed to. Anybody else? Can anybody say amen? You ever said anything to your daddy you probably shouldn't have said? But do you know what? He's still your daddy after you yell at him. He's still your daddy after you get in a fight. And sometimes it's frustrating because when he's your daddy, you, he's never in the wrong. <laughs> It's always you. <laughs> but do you know what? He's still there. He still listens. He still guides. He still protects. He still provides. That God ought to be someone for you that is so intimately dependable that the thought of Him not talking to you the thought of Him not listening to you should be so foreign, it should not even enter your mind if you have come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. I don't want you as members or attenders or passers-by of Stapleton Baptist Church to ever leave here thinking that if I don't check off this list of boxes, God ain't going to want to have anything to do with you. No, God knows that you can't check off all the boxes, so He checked them off for you so that He could always have something to do with you.
The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. The the Spirit that God gives you as a child of His, do you know what? If you've come to Jesus Christ, it ought to be really hard for you to turn your back and walk away and go the other direction from Him. Talking about parents and how hard that is to do. I ran away one time when I was little. I did. I packed up three Capri Suns. <laughs> this is a true story. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I packed up three Capri Suns, my Game Boy, a Snicker bar, and a couple of packs of Doritos. And I moved to, to the, the fantastic exotic land of Under the Trampoline. In my backyard, that I had enough. I was going to live on my own and I could handle it. And you know what? It didn't last long. Because I did not plan. I was like, well, there's a lot of things that aren't under the trampoline. There's not an air conditioner out here. So I ran away. I stayed run away. But I ran away inside until it got cooler. And then I continued my rebellion outside. And then I ran out of Capri Suns and I ran out of Doritos and I ran out of Snicker Bar. And I decided to run away inside to go have dinner. Then I'd continue my rebellion later. And finally, my mama just looked at me. She said, well, you're running away. It doesn't seem to be going all that well. You've run away back inside several times. And I said, well, you've got all the stuff. <laughs> she said, well, you hadn't really run away then. I said, but I, I want the stuff. She said, well, then you better stay. And I said, okay. <laughs> and that rebellion was over with. It's hard to run away and leave your parents. You've got to think hard about it because you realize, you know what? Honestly, they're my family. That's my parents. It's hard for me to leave them. Sometimes I get mad and I walk off in a huff, but guess what? You know, I never really had the intention of leaving. Y'all, let me tell you something. If God's your Abba, if God's your Daddy, if you've come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ, it ought to be hard to walk off in another direction. If it's not hard to walk away and leave Him, I would start questioning who your family is. Because it's a lot easier to walk away from people who are not your family. But if he is your daddy, it's hard to walk away. And you've got an inheritance. You're an heir. And finally, John 1.12, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. As many as received him, Here's the scary part of the law. Is that the law perfectly accomplishes goal in the past for those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. It was meant to teach you you can't do it on your own. 